Yes. Better like that. So, thank you for joining me for this talk on Spectre-based malware. So, I guess that all of you have heard of Spectre, right, at least, at least at the, a little bit at the beginning of the year. And at this point, uh, you probably think, oh no, no, not yet another talk about, uh, about Spectre, right? Um, there has been so, so much uh, in, the, in the media in January or February, or things like that. So um, I'm really happy, actually, there's only one track, so you can't run off to the other track. That's very good. But don't worry. The, the good, good news is that, actually, I am not going to repeat what was already on the web uh, at the beginning of the year or afterwards because I am going to see Spectre in, uh, with a different angle. Um, we are very much rather going to look at its impact rather than what it is doing, its impact on smartphones as a matter of fact. And if you want to look into Spectre, well, you, you, if you want to catch up with that, I'm sure you can find loads of paper on the web. So, our question today is, uh, are there Spectre malware on Android smartphones? Right. And it's, um, I'm not um, an expert on cache attacks. I'm not an expert on CPUs either. So I'm, I'm, sh I'm actually sure that for cache attacks, there are some uh, experts uh, in the room who, who know far more than me. But I do know a little about uh, malware, as I'm an antivirus researcher. And um, I think also I was predestined to, to talk about Spectre. Look at the similarities between our logos. That's my uh, logo on Twitter, and uh, the other one is a, a Spectre logo. So, the question again, do we have Spectre malware on Android smartphones? First, we're gonna narrow a little bit the question, and we are going to rule out all the Intel x86 smartphones. Why? Well, because there's already been lots of literature on that, uh, on x86 for smartphones or not for smartphones. So I said I wouldn't repeat, right? The other reason, of course, is that for smartphones, most smartphones today have an ARM CPU. So if I want to study how it's working on a smartphone, it makes more sense at least to work uh, on uh, an ARM CPU. So the question is exactly, uh, do we have a Spectre malware on an Android ARM-based smartphone? Okay, so it's pretty simple because actually ARM uh, published a security update, very nice one, with listing all the CPUs which are affected by Spectre. So what we'll have to do is just go and see this list, see which CPU we have on our smartphone, like that, and see if we're in the list or not, right? So then I thought, okay, um, what kind of CPUs do people usually have? So this is, I asked my close colleagues uh, at uh, Fortinet, and quite quickly I saw that there were quite lots of people having that ARM Cortex-A53. Okay, so I thought, okay, um, this one is gonna be like uh, something interesting to research, and 
people like pies, so this is a pie. We're saying basically exactly the same thing. Um, it's not worldwide statistics, right? It's just a department at Fortinet, so, okay. I'm not sure it's totally representative, but I know that this CPU Cortex-A53 is pretty much widespread on low-range to middle-range uh, Android smartphones. So, is it vulnerable or not? Let's try and see um, uh, if uh, this one is vulnerable. I checked the list and, well, good, because as you can see, it's not there. And if it's not there, well, ARM ex uh, explicitly says uh, that uh, only affected cores are listed and all other ARM cores are not affected. So I'm not in the list, I'm not affected. Good. Then I thought, um, okay, but why Am I not affected? Why, why is this um, CPU not vulnerable? I mean, it's kind of interesting to, to know the reason. And the spec says, well, it's an in-order pipeline and with advanced branch predictor. So the first thing, I had plenty of people replying and telling me, oh, you know, well, it's an in-order uh, pipeline, so uh, don't worry, it's not affected either uh, to meltdown and to spectre. Um, I'm not going to go into details for that, but this is absolutely wrong. Uh, being inline or outline has absolutely nothing to do with uh, speculative execution, right? So you can check this out uh, calmly afterwards, but it's not a good reason at all. Then I dig into the specs, and um, I found in uh, this, uh, the specs of that Cortex-A53, Flags, one saying predictable branch speculatively executed, another one same thing but with indirect branches. So uh, for those of you who are a little bit knowledgeable on, on Spectre, well this is exactly uh, Spectre version 1 and Spectre version 2. So uh, it really looks like I am, uh, well with this processor it is uh, affected by Spectre or vulnerable to Spectre, right? But ARM says it's not, so is it or is it not? I mean, it's, it's not clear, okay? So there's only one solution. We're gonna test it, right? I mean, uh, unless we have some more uh, uh, inner information from ARM explaining why it is not vulnerable, um, I have no other solution. So first step, find a smartphone with ARM Cortex-A53. That's the easiest part. I actually had two in the lab uh, waiting for me, uh, sitting to, to be tested on. Then I need to find a POC, a proof of concept to run on this smartphone. There are basically three different um, proof of concepts out there in, in the world. So um, the first category are just derived from uh, what was written at the end of uh, the official paper on Spectre. You've got some source code there and people, well, basically cloned that on various repositories. This works for x86, so it won't directly work on a smartphone, well, on an ARM-based uh, smartphone. The second one is a kind of a port somebody made for Android ARCH 64 architectures. Looks promising, we'll talk about this one a little bit later. And then the third category is, uh, well, some newer um, proof of concepts for the, the more recent versions of um, Spectre, Spectre kind of the new generation. 
which we can also find um, well in the exploit database. So we have three uh, three different kinds that we can use. Um, I'm not going to insist very much on it uh, yet. I will talk about this a bit later. But a proof of concept is not a, is not the malware. We'll discuss that a little bit afterwards. So I said this, the second one on ARCH64 is probably going to be interesting. Can I use it on that's a smartphone with Cortex A53? So I read the specs again, and it tells me the Cortex A53 can be implemented in two execution stakes, ARCH32 and ARCH64. The first one is for uh, kind of backward compatibility with ARM v7 32-bit application, whereas the second one is for 64-bit applications. Right. So it seems like it's going to work. So I grab the proof of concept, clone, clone it, compile it for the smartphone, and then I'm pushing it to the smartphone, and then I run. Blam. Not executable. 64-bit elf file. So what is happening here? It's not executing. I have a look at the CPU information on my smartphone. And then I have the surprise to see that, well, the model name is ARM v7 processor, which means that it's um, only seeing it as a 32-bit um, smartphone, not a 64-bit. So what it basically means is that um, I do have a CPU with 64-bit capabilities, but on top of that, I've got Android, which is, in my case, only compiled for 32-bit, so I won't ever have the 64-bit capability in the end over Android. So I need to find another proof of concept, this time something working for 32-bit. I search the web, and there are none. Okay, so that's uh, very hard. The only solution, of course, is to implement ours. Okay, and then again, uh, it's not the malware, it's a proof of concept. We'll detail a little bit the difference afterwards. So, um, I'm not going to get in the details of how a Spectre is implemented, but basically you've got to implement a cache attack. In that case, you can implement it several ways, but I chose to use the same uh, method as in the official paper, which means a flush and reload. So to do that, we need two different kind of instructions. We need one instruction to be able to flush the cache. They are using MMCL flush, and uh, one to be able to read time so that we measure exactly how long it takes to access a given part of the cache. Right. And for that, they are using RDTSP read timestamp counter. On Android, it's a little bit more difficult, let's say, because, uh, well, MMCL flush does not exist. I don't even have also another function called clear cache, so I search a little bit more, and actually I found something which seems like it's working, ARM and R cache flush. So this is what I'm going to use. To measure time, same problem. You do not have RDTSP nor RDTSC, as a matter of fact, which are only x86 instructions. You don't have that on ARM. 
I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. wheel. There, there is actually uh, several researchers who did quite a lot of research on that, on how to implement cache attacks on ARM. So I'm reusing exactly their, their work, and they found out four different methods to measure time precisely on ARM architectures. So I'm going to try those four methods. Right. The first one, we are going to monitor the hardware events. This is not working on my on both smartphones that I tried because the hardware counters are not exported at all. They're not available. So we can rule this one out. Second one is really good. Uh, you, you have on the CPU a performance monitor unit. Um, that would be really cool to be to, to use. But what happens is that this performance monitor unit is usually only accessible in kernel space. And you can't use it unless you've enabled it somewhere, some way or another, in user space. And uh, if I want to research and do some research on Spectre on a smartphone, uh, and I have to touch the kernel, this is a significant, uh, a significant hack. So um, that's not something that the malware could do without uh, people noticing the, the, the problem. So it's not really exactly what I want to, to, to do. Third solution is like pretty generic. You can use a thread timer. So you put a thread um, besides your own program and you just have a counter that will increment and uh, you just have a peek at this counter to see uh, what's the value and you kind of derive a timestamp counter that way. This works great on Linux, on, I mean on Linux uh, boxes, uh, standard ones. Um, it does not work, or I wasn't able to get it to work on a smartphone. You get some values, but it, it's not precise enough, so you can't really accurately measure time that way. So as you guessed, we are stuck with the fourth solution, which is clock get time, a POSIX um, function that we can use and which seems to be working. So, well, here I'm skipping quite a long process, which is like porting it to um, over the RMV7 archi architecture. In the end, we are going to run it. And if you recall, well, the, what we, we are putting a secret in memory, which is the magic words, etc., cetera, are, uh, are in, in the memory. And we want to recover this. Uh, as you can see over here, the score is zero. This is the number of cache hits. We have no cache hits. At first, this is perfectly normal because you need to tune it a little bit. So we tune it, say, putting the correct level uh, of timing to detect cache hits and things like that. And I get to an acceptable um, level where, where I do get some cache hits, but not too many uh, either. The problem is that, as you can see here, well, we're not recovering the secret, okay? It's not working. And uh, even worse, each time I run it, I get something else, which means that uh, I'm dumping something in memory, but obviously not the, the secret. It's not that I'm just unlucky. So it's, not, it's not working. So then I thought, okay, uh, bad. Well, we'll discuss a little bit what are the options. I tried also this on another CPU, uh, this time on Cortex-A8. I tried this one because it was specifically um, uh, ARM um, said that this one was vulnerable. 
So I wanted to, it's an old processor, but I happen to have a smartphone with that, so I tested it over, and same results. The processor is said to be vulnerable, but when I test it over an Android stack, um, I am unable to recover the secret. So, conclusion. Conclusion is, well, uh, Cryptax, your implementation really is uh, bad and something is wrong, okay? Um, yeah, possibly, but I, I, I don't think so. Obviously, I wrote it, so that's perhaps, uh, perhaps I'm biased. Um, I don't think so because I tried also with another library implemented by other people, implementing the cache, uh, the, the cache attacks, and I get exactly the same results, exactly the same ones. Other option is, well, that Cortex-8-53, sorry, is not vulnerable. It's possible. Well, we still don't know why, but it's not vulnerable. Possible. Third option is that, well, um, I'm using clock get time. It seems that like it is working. I get like sensible results, but maybe it's not precise enough. Possible. And the fourth one, which I believe I did discuss that a little bit around, is uh, the most likely, is that actually the cache flush instruction that I'm using is not working. So I discussed that with um, some of the people uh, uh, behind a meltdown and uh, inspector, and uh, this is what they think is the, the probably the, the most likely there. So what I would have to do is to change the implementation and not use flush and reload, or because I don't have a decent flush instruction, but use something like prime and probe or evict and uh, reload or something like that. Anyway. Uh, as you can see, it's far, uh, far than obvious. You can play with the implementation, which is there. You are very welcome to clone it and do uh, whatever improvements you, you, you can on it. Um, that's what it's uh, there for. And basically, what we can learn for the smartphones is that, well, if you have um, um, a smartphone with that Cortex-A53, at least we don't exactly know if it's vulnerable or not yet, that's true, but uh, you know from this experience that it's certainly not immediate to get it working on, on the smartphone. You really only have to check Spectre out if you have one of those very new processors, 64-bit processors, but the, the, the new ones, then in that case, uh, test the POC that I mentioned to see if your smartphone is vulnerable. Second part, do we have malware in the wild um, which are actually using Spectre one way or another? Uh, we saw at the end of uh, January a headline such as this one, uh, Meltdown Spectre malware is, al is already being tested by attackers. Um, and then this very nice uh, graph there with um, showing the number of Spectre Meltdown uh, samples and uh, malware. So it seems kind of huge, you know, a massive threat. So, of course, I think that past the salsa, we have to question this and to wonder if this is true or not, right? So from the graph, the, the one with the, the big uh, red uh, parts there, I grabbed all the 139 samples which were mentioned, okay? I downloaded all of them and inspected them, them all. 
they are not malware, they are all of them proof of concept. There is absolutely no malware in, in, inside that, those. And it's pretty different. Uh, I really want to insist on that because uh, it seems that it's not obvious to everybody. Um, the proof of concept is actually recovering a secret in its own process, for instance, right? But uh, it's like uh, asking yourself, what's your name? You already know your name, right? Uh, if you want to do a real uh, exploit, you would have to do at least one process, discussing and communicating with another process, sharing memory and recovering the secret of the other process. And this is um, significantly uh, like more difficult. So the proof of concept here is just to demo that it's possible to do it, but it's not doing it uh, exactly for real, okay? So there's really a, a big difference be be between a malware and a proof of concept. So if we take again the headlines, well, malware is already uh, malware in red. No, it's, tr it's wrong. It's not malware, it's proof of concept. O already being tested by attackers, I've put that in orange because it's like uh, something they say, but uh, we have absolutely no proof, okay? Uh, we have no proof, it's an attacker who is testing. It could very well be people uh, in the audience here testing your own infrastructure to know if your infrastructure was vulnerable or not. Okay, so that's not uh, obvious. Same in this graph. Actually, the graph is correct because the graph at the top here is saying uh, related samples, uh, spectre meltdown related samples and a sample, a proof of concept is a sample. But the problem is with the label at the, at the down here, at the bottom here, where they say meltdown spectre malware samples. No, it's not malware, it's proof of concepts. And unfortunately, it leads to very much uh, different uh, conclusion in, in people's mind, okay? Um, at that time, and uh, end of January, we had also 139 um, proof of concepts. We have a little bit more now. Um, end of June, we have 183. As you can see, most of those are for Windows, but we do have quite a few for um, ELF uh, binaries and a few for also macOS. Then I thought, okay, you know, we're just going to see how often those proof of concepts are detected on our boxes on the, on the FortiGate. So I, I have uh, this kind of statistics. Basically what you see is one peak here at the beginning of January, which kind of makes sense. It's when the Spectre was uh, released, published. And then in the middle of March, there are some other peaks there. I believe it is um, in line with some um, patches that uh, Microsoft uh, distributed at that time. Um, not exactly sure, but uh, it probably is something like that. Besides those two spikes, if we cast off the spikes, basically what we can see is that we have uh, around something like 40 hits per day for those proof of concepts until April, and then after that it goes a little bit down about 20, 20 hits per day for the proof of concepts. So, no Spectre malware currently, as I said. Uh, now and later, are we going to have some afterwards or not? If we want to catch those, well, we, build, we need to build some kind of detection so that we know we get infected by something which is related to Spectre afterwards. So, 
um, this is what I did. I designed kind of it's called like a signature in the AV language, but it's nothing to do, unfortunately, with a cryptographic sig signature. Uh, anyway, um, I have a look at the binary. In my case, I was only looking at uh, the ELF binaries, and I search for an instruction using cache flush. So on ELF uh, x86 um, binaries, if I find one. Then I look afterwards if there is a first timing instruction followed very closely by a second timing instruction. If this is the case, it means that I probably have somebody, well, the binary is probably doing uh, a cache attack, or at least it's measuring something in the, in the cache and trying uh, to see how long, uh, how long it takes, and I raise kind of an alarm. It's far from perfect, as you have probably already noticed, because um, uh, first on the kind of performance, I have to parse the entire bi binary, which is going to be a little bit long, right? And uh, even more obvious, the other problem is that I'm, I'm, I risk, I have a high risk of having false positives. You know, other binaries doing this, the same, but for other reasons, maybe not for a cache attack, but, but for something else. And, of course, there are plenty of ways to evade it. But um, I'm going to try it, nevertheless, because sometimes you don't need to be that shrewd to kind of catch, uh, catch things and see how things are working, right? So I try it on those 62 uh, ELF um, samples that we have. And I catch uh, immediately 38. So it depends if you're... Uh, an optimist person or not, 38, well, that's great, I got 38 in one shot, cool. Or if you're pessimistic, well, you'll say, yeah, okay, but why didn't I catch the other ones, right? Okay. So, why didn't I catch the other ones? I had a look at the, the other kind of 30 few that I was missing and had a look uh, with uh, Radar uh, and um, and what I saw, I saw the, the RTTSP instruction there, which was uh, shown quite clearly. And then I had a look a little bit before that. There was no cache flush. Okay, the cache flush was missing. So what that means is that those samples were damaged. Um, I don't know if you're accustomed to that, but that happens pretty often in our AV dan uh, databases. We have loads of uh, samples which are damaged and uh, will never be able to run. In that case, without the cache flush, Spectre is not going to work. Okay, So I'm not detecting them, but I don't really care because anyway, uh, it, wouldn't be, uh, it wouldn't be working. Then I ran another test, this time on uh, all the recent uh, ELF um, binaries that we have, the malicious ones that we have in our database for the last, uh, last uh, few six months, just to see how many false positives I, I would have with my signature. And I was really honestly very surprised because I had absolutely no false positive. I only, it only detected the 36 um, some proof of concept of Spectre and nothing else which is kind of uh, perhaps a little bit surprising. Uh, so what that means is that actually uh, on malware, it's I think an interesting result. It means that we, it's not common to have cache attacks in malware currently. 
So yeah, this is coming to uh, the conclusion there. Um, so things you should remember. Currently, we have no malware which is based on Spectre. No, zero. Uh, we don't have any on uh, on Windows, on Linux, on Mac. We have nothing either for uh, smartphones. I happen to be researching also on IoT. We don't have anything based on Spectre for IoT either. Right. Second result is that cache attacks is not commonly used in um, in malware. Okay. Uh, then how is this going to evolve in the future? I'm sure this is uh, really an open question for discussion. Um, I don't have a crystal ball, unfortunately, but um, uh, I'm not speculating here uh, if uh, this is going to be uh, big in one month, in six months, or two years, or, or whenever. Right? This is just like giving you the facts. You'll conclude the way you want uh, on your side. And this uh, concludes pretty much the talk. If you have any question. Thank you, Axel. So, So um, thanks for the, for the talk. Uh, my question was about your uh, experimentation and uh, the measurement you have done between two cache pushes. Um, is that static or dynamic analysis that you have done? Um, I, I'm sorry, I didn't exactly catch the, the time measurement between? Uh, between the two instructions you were referring to. Oh, okay. Um, between the two instructions. It's static an analysis at this point all, all the time, not dynamic uh, analysis. And uh, do you analyze the whole binary or only the code, for instance? Because obviously you could have some uh, random data which could uh, make some uh, false positive, right? True. Oh, yeah, for the detection. For the detection uh, in, um, in this part, uh, I'll go back to that one. Um, no, sorry, it was a little bit afterwards. I, I believe you're referring to this one where why there is no detection uh, in there. Um, no, this this search there, so this one, this one is done on the entire binary, not only on the code. So if there is some random data in another section of the ELF binary, which just happens to have like something that looks like the instruction, it will catch it. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how. Okay. So, uh, yeah, it seems. So, last question. So, thank you very much. Thank you.